I am joined by Mark Cahodis. Mark, great to have you here. Welcome to Forward Guidance. Thanks for having me. This has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to do this for a while, but hadn't had much to say. So now, now there's plenty to talk about, I think. Now you have so much to say. Mark, you are a true uh, financial sleuth. You do the work. You go through all the pages of the documents to find what no one else finds. You are a short seller, and there are many different types of short sellers. There's uh, you know, long Apple, short Microsoft. Then, okay, I'm going to short this one specifically. Then there's activist short sellers. And then there's you. Before we get into FTX, Silvergate, Signature Bank, the, the regional banking crisis, just give people a sense of, of your background. Well... To start it off, I'll be 63 in June, and most people in this space burn out at about 38. And because this is just very, very, very difficult work. And I think when I spoke many years ago, I said, you sort of age in dog years because you have no natural advocates. The companies don't like you. Stockholders don't like you, depending on which way the wind blows, the regulators don't like you. But I'm not a smash and grab guy. I'm not a guy who yells fire and as everyone's running out of the theater, I cover. When I do something, I think I do it with authority and I go after companies and people who I think the world would be better if they're not around. That, that I've put numerous people into prison. Uh, Harvard has written two case studies about some of my work spoken at all the places there are to speak. But there, there's a lack of calling people out. There's a, people are scared to speak the truth. People are scared to think. People are scared to think freely. But I have no problem with that. And I, I use my own name. I don't hide under a moniker. I only have one Twitter account, which is at Alderleg Eggs. And if you can use Twitter properly, you get some tremendous information from that. So I'm a long-term guy. I don't, if I'm going to cock it, I'm going to throw it. And if I say something, I have basis for what I say. So I try to make the world better. I make, or I try to make money doing it. Sometimes I lose my ass, which is a miserable feeling. I mean, I hate to lose, hate it. And as long as the feeling of winning is better than the horrific pain of losing, I'll keep doing it. But I know I only have so many years left before your marbles begin to go. And this is highly risky stuff. I have great lawyers. You know, some of these guys out there spend a fortune with, you know, financial publicists. PR firms. I don't spend a dime doing that. I'm a one-man wrecking crew in terms of PR, but I spend all my money on lawyers. My legal bills are quite high. They're way too high. Sometimes people sue me if they're foolish enough, but I'm suing a couple people now. So it's interesting. I think, I think I'm good at it. I think I'm still doing this at a high level. I don't think there's anyone close to what I've done historically over my career. I mean, people would Love to have just done one thing that I've done, and and I take pride in my work. And uh, I don't think there's anyone out there like me, frankly. You should take pride, Mark, especially with the findings that you've had over the past three years. 
you cracked the code very early on for FTX. You raised red flags about Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX at a time when many uh, in the mainstream, including myself, were you know, had wool over over our eyes about what FTX really was, and, and you turned out to be right. And to the extent that you know folks listened to you, you, you definitely saved people uh, a lot of money. And, but then you your 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 track record over the past year not limited to just that. Uh, you were short. Silvergate Bank, uh, a bank headquartered in the West Coast, which uh, you know now the stock traded above hundred dollars, and you know now is trading at a dollar and seventy cents as we speak. And then Signature Bank, which uh, uh, traded as high as over three hundred dollars, and now the the market you know value of that's not trading; it's uh, you know pretty close to zero, and it was shut down by the FTIC uh, last Sunday, about eight eight days ago from when we're recording. So uh, let's stick to to the banks, the the actual stocks. Silvergate and Signature Bank. What tipped you off to hmm, something might be off here? I didn't have any special information on FTX. I was just trying to think and dissect everything that the criminal SBF had to say. And nothing fit. Nothing checked out. Nothing fit. I couldn't understand the trade where he so-called made billions of dollars. The guy had no mentor. He had no exchange experience. You checked out LinkedIn on on the employees there. They they looked basically like glorified interns. And you just, you know, I, I know some very special people who are worth a lot of money and they they sort of hit you and you say, that person's special. There's nothing about that guy that made any sense. And I just thought he was a schlub. And and nothing when asked a serious question, he'd never give everyone an answer. And I found it fascinating how the media fawned all over him and the huge sums of money he was spending either to politicians and the media, you know, that, that I thought was buying him, him, you know, more credibility than he had. I mean, to me in this business, if you're good or special, you have to earn it and you have a track record and you have people along the way who will vouch for you will say, I, showed that guy the ropes and, and he's really good and I'll put my name behind him. So as SBF blew up, I was well aware of Silvergate as the banking of crypto and there were various interviews. And again, all this stuff was on the internet where SBF was telling people if it wasn't for Silvergate, he wouldn't have a business. And that, that you know, translates to me when you really boil it down that Silvergate was an accomplice to SBF and FTX's crimes. And the more I dug in, and a guy named Aurelius on Twitter, Aurelius Value, I think, his real name is James Gibson. And, and he's a nice, calm guy, but he researches like a motherfucker. And we worked on my medics together, and we worked on Silvergate together, and he turned up some great stuff, and I turned up some great stuff. And Every one of their customers on their their network, you know, to me looked like a complete criminal. Coinbase isn't a criminal, but everything else looked either like a money launderer or something very shaky. So as I started digging more into Silvergate, they had something called the SEND network, Silvergate Exchange Network, which basically gave you 24-7, 365 uh, ability to move money worldwide just sort of at the touch of a button. And that and Signature Bank's network called Signet, to me were the on and off ramps for worldwide financial criminals. So I 
took a short position in Silvergate. I think I first started in the 50s. Spoke about it at Hedge Eye that I thought this thing was garbage at the high 30s. And here we are at a buck 70 in the banks being closed down. You know, Signature was more, they had this Signet and they had huge commercial real estate exposure, which I thought was bad. And they had huge uninsured deposits. And again, they did nothing special. And what caught me there is the chairman, guy with the last name Shea, S-H-A-Y, did an Ernst & Young video. And he started his speech by praising Gordon Gecko. He went into this whole thing, greed is good, greed is great. And that just sort of twisted my head a little bit. And I said, this motherfucker deserves my attention. And, and he got it. And the bank is now seized. I also wrote uh, letters, plural, on Silvergate and Signature to the SEC, the DOJ, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve. And these are 20-page letters with 80 pages of exhibits. And I thought by doing that, I would let the powers that be know that I and others are on this thing. And it's not okay. It's not okay for foreign interests and criminals to launder money through the United States banking system. And, you know, the stocks have been disasters and that's great. And that's great for me. But the real goal here was destroying the SEND network, which has happened. It's closing down and destroying Signet, Signet which is happening and that's closing down. So the, the true mission to anyone who knows me, knows me well, is I wanted to see these money laundering networks closed. And sure enough, that happened. And it happened, it happened quickly. And I was up early each day. And, you know, frankly, what really motivated me is stock, manipulator, stock manipulators like Zero Hedge and people on the internet like Ram and some of his cronies were all just calling to orchestrate short squeezes in these various names. And I just said to myself, you don't need to manipulate these stocks higher. There's no good reason that anyone should root for money launderers or criminals. And it really pissed me off. And it, I worked pretty hard to begin with, but it forced me to work extra hard. So if anyone wants to know some of my motivations, I always say on Twitter, there's no greater motivator than disrespect. And Zero Hedge guys really woke me up and got me off my ass when they were calling for short squeezes. So I may have a special surprise for everyone who wanted to fuck around with those stocks. And, and again, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I operated with purpose. Um, my mosaic that I painted out, it happened. It, it actually happened exactly how I drew it up. I, I was pleasantly surprised that the government took over and seized signature. I thought it would happen. I didn't think it would happen that fast. But, you know, luck favors the well-prepared. And I was well-prepared for this. And, uh, you know, it made me very happy. I was able to crack a smile. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter, but I do not enjoy being pushed around. And I sure don't enjoy being fucked with. And, and when you do, you get the full me. So that's, these guys had what was coming to them. And, I'm, you know, I'm happy about that. Right. And when a stock collapses in value 70, 80 percent, 
very frequently there, there is a vigorous rebound, uh, sometimes over a hundred percent. And, you know, I can you know throw, throw the, the names at it, you know, Carvana, uh, all sorts of stock like, like that. One thing I noticed about Silvergate was that the bounces were very small and very rare and that it, you know, when it went down to $13, I thought, man, Marco Hodes was right. Uh, wow. But you know, it, it might have a bounce. I wasn't posting about on Twitter about it. I thought that would, that would have been irresponsible, but I, you know, it, it didn't, it just, it just fell like a, a stone. What does that indicate to you when a stock, when there is no bounce? Well, you know, really a stock went down from 200 and when they had bad news and the stock was 10, they, they put this goofball Bill Miller on CNBC to hype it. And that's when Zero Hedge and all these guys wanted to have a short squeeze because they said it was the most shorted stock on the exchange. They did bounce it from 12 or 13 to 22, which hurt and hurt bad. And they did that twice on bad news to try to play the short squeeze game and play the meme stock. But all that does is piss me off more. And what people, you know, I have this rule of thumb that stocks sometimes double or triple three times, two or three times on their way to zero. I mean, they took Carvana from four to 18 or five to 18 in this stretch. As you said, they took Wayfair from 30 to 70 in this stretch. Everyone knows what they've done to Bed Bath and & Beyond. And, and the moves weren't, weren't for long, but some of those moves in Silvergate were violent. And I think the government needs to do a better job when stocks start moving like this to have basis behind it. But the media, by and large, you know, Barron's wrote a bunch of bullshit, I think, the author there, a guy named Jack Denton, I think he's captured. I think he needs to be investigated. Of course, we talk about zero hedge. They're, they're nothing but a problem. They don't, they disclose or used to disclose that they're paid from time to time and will have positions from time to time. And zero hedge guys bet me uh, when the stock was 27, that it would hit 50 before it hit five. And, you know, we all know what happened, but you know, again, these guys are, these guys are bad news and everyone, you know, if people are watching this pod, hopefully I entertain you enough, but what you should understand is not all information and research is the same that assume people have a motive and assume you're not getting the, the straight scoop that they're trying to sell you something. A, I'm not trying to sell anyone anything. I don't have a business. I speak freely. I'm sure I've been, I disclose what I'm involved in uh, to a fault and I take it seriously. I also won't tolerate any disrespect on my Twitter. I have 18,000 people blocked, but it's, it's free. And, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money off these calls and uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy for people. Made money and perhaps more importantly, uh, saved money. Mark, I want to ask you, about the, the bird's eye view of what's going on in the banking system is uninsured depositors are pulling money from mid-sized small banks because there is a fear that those banks are insolvent you know, based on losses in uh, duration-rich securities like mortgage-backed securities, uh, U.S. treasuries, as, as, you know, as well as loans. And you can, through that lens, you know, people can and people have analyzed Silvergate and Signature Bank. Oh, it's just the same thing as Silicon Valley Bank. People pulled their deposit. There was a you know hot money coming in because of crypto in the case of Silicon Valley, in the case of Silvergate and Signature. And then the hot money goes out uh, when the crypto uh, wave turns over. It's just like VC in Silicon Valley Bank. 
my understanding, Mark, is that, you know, and based on the language you've already said today, that your, your allegations against uh, Signature and uh, um, um, Silvergate are significantly more than that. It's not just a bank run being caused by all this hot money and yeah, oh, it's bad risk management. No, there was actual nefarious activity going on. You referred to money laundering. Uh, just you know, flesh out in, in detail as, as much as you can, what were the really bad things that were going on at, at that network? And how did that uh, you know, uh, uh, pose a risk to the stock in terms of uh, the US Justice Department, FBI, stuff like that? Okay. So I refer to Silvergate and Signature as publicly traded crime scenes. And really, you start digging into Silvergate's clients and who was on the send, and one is worse than the next. You have terrorists, you have drug dealers, you have human traffickers, and, and it, you know, it takes some digging on the internet, but I think um, Silvergate did, I, I don't have my letters in front of me, but I refer to every uh, criminal these guys do business with in my letters to the DOJ and the SEC and the Federal Reserve and the FDIC. There was this outfit they do business with in, in I think, Mexico called Bitso. And it's just, it's a, it's a spot for human trafficking and, and paying kidnappers ransoms and, and things like that. It wasn't used for crypto. Crypto was just the wrapper for bad guys to do things. And, you know, there's Justin Sun, who's a guy who used both, I think, Silvergate and Signature. He's he's a walking time bomb. And, you know, I did a lot of work on Wirecard and I was involved in Wirecard a couple of years ago. And my working theory, you know, in the mainstream media, you know, doesn't really want to hear it is when Wirecard went bust and was exposed, the financial criminals needed vehicles to move money around. And they found the Send Network and they found Signet. And that was really what was going on. So, you know, Signature Silvergate has explained that since the Send Network was has been in business, over a trillion dollars uh, has moved through there, and a trillion dollars is a lot of money, and it's far more than just crypto or a crypto exchange. It was just busting loose to the United States banking system, and I think the CCP was involved in some of this stuff. And I don't think Signature and or Silvergate had any KYC or AML that's know your customer and anti-money laundering controls in place. And Gretchen Morganson, who I think is the best at what she does, wrote a piece for NBC that the outfit North Dimension, which was the vehicle that was used to fund money into Alameda at FTX, was just a front. They, they did over $8 billion through that, and it was a made-up uh, electronics retailer in the Far East. So when you write eight or nine pages, single space, to the government outlying, outlying who they've done business with, it's very clear that these are criminal operations. And, and it's, it's fantastic that the government stepped in and put an end to this, this crap. On your theory with regional banks, people taking money out, you know, it's, it's, it's very different and it's really a case by case thing. I mean, Silicon Valley bank was out of control. And again, it was a, just a shit show disaster from the start. Um, 
we can do another podcast about my experience with Silicon Valley Bank. I could absolutely just shoot myself because I was in this thing and I covered way, way, way too early. I mean, like I was shorted at 600 and covered it at 400 because I needed to put up more margin for Carvana a year ago, but that's a different story for a different day. But it was not a controlled bank with very hot money as deposits, basically funding all these out of control VC guys. And it was just going to be a disaster. The question was when. So they met their maker, Silvergate, you know, again, through the Send Network and through these crypto guys and through the FDIC pushing hard on them is just in complete unwind mode. And Signature has huge commercial real estate loans, which I don't think are any good. They have the Signet, which again, we've talked about, I think it launders money for the worst of the worst. And they had a huge run on the bank in terms of their uninsured deposits. So all three, although they're failed, Failures are very different. And everyone talks about contagion and FDIC insurance of 250,000 or more. But, you know, I think that's just all wrong. I think that there are too many banks out there. There are way too many zombie banks out there. No one bails me out. I think if you mess up and you're a bank and you're backed by the government, the government should unwind you. The government should make the deposits good and basically say you're out of business. I'm talking to you about 20 miles west of Bozeman, Montana. And I was driving around yesterday and my girlfriend and I counted just in the drive, 11 different banks around us, different, not, not just branches of Wells Fargo, mm -hmm. but it was anything from Wells Fargo to first interstate to Manhattan bank to Stockman's Bank, to First National Bank of Montana, on and on. And all those banks may be fine, but you don't need 11 banks in a 10-mile radius in a town of 50,000 people. I mean, if five of them went out of business, there's still six of them, and everyone can be served. So I'm, I'm a free market guy, and it really troubles me that all these guys who've made money on zero interest rates and think they're so damn smart. The second things go against them, they beg for the government to bail them out. And the government needs to let people go out of business to show everyone that we don't run a socialized state here. So I'm all for making depositors good in times of stress, which may be now, but half the people in this country, half, have $1,000 or less in their bank account. So the 250000 or more deposit that everyone's screaming about or take your money out of regional banks. It's really a select few. And there's nothing wrong with buying U.S. treasuries. They yield more than banks anyway. So banks need to be fiscally sound. They need to be managed properly. And if they're not, they should go out of business because there's plenty of really good bankers out there. And there's plenty of bankers who do things smart and do things fiscally responsible. So I'm, I'm very anti-bailout, you know, Fine, the government did what they did, and it's the Federal Reserve's fault that we're in the mess that we're in, but they should have let people fail, and they still should let people fail, and uh, the system will be better for it, and, uh, you know, that's my view, and, of course, I get attacked on Twitter by all the VC guys and clowns like Ackman who, who are just looking and begging for the next bailout, so I'm an anti-bailout guy, I'm a free market guy, and I 
I think in all industries, a zombie should go out of business once and for all. So you, you described in detail the the failures at Silvergate and Signature Bank. Can you go in more details on Silicon Valley Bank? What were the risks that they took? And in, in your view, why are we in the situation of the stocks at zero and it's been taken over by the FDIC and the government had to do a, do a bailout and, and guarantee uninsured depositors? Silicon Valley Bank is a is a is just a rare, rare thing. I mean, they catered to people, you know, this VC crowd that has far, they have more money than they have brains. And when rates are low and stocks are flying and crypto is hot and you can bring all these garbage companies public in a SPAC, loaning money to them, growing your business, it's, it's like a no brainer for them. So the, the business and the bank grew you know, huge. They had VC loans. They managed money for, for the partners of these VC funds. They loaned money to the wineries of the VC guys. They loaned money in the most irresponsible way possible. And their loan loss reserves, when things were great, were a number close to zero. And this company, at least on their statements was was making a lot of money and you can make a lot of money when things go straight up and you have a leverage margin bet up that's why i decided to short it when all these vc guys and these fake vc guys like tiger global were having problems they started missing quarters and the stock went from like 700 to 400 and sadly i covered it because i needed margin for carvana but in, in retrospect, I should have said that this trend is going to continue and bad loan, bad loan underwriting combined with senseless duration management, mismatching long end of the curve against the short end of the curve will come back and bite them. And I just stopped paying attention. And, and again, I'm hugely down on myself for stop paying attention because it would have really been something. But what happened was they had a huge amount of uninsured deposits and that's where the VC guys used to park their money. And something happened where I think they pissed Peter Thiel off and he basically single-handedly caused a run on the bank. He took his money out, his pals took their money out, which wasn't a small sum. And then foolishly for him, got on Bloomberg and said he took his money out and he advises uh, people do the same. So we all know that banks don't keep much money on hand. They keep it invested. And you literally had an old fashioned run on the bank, but it wasn't like in the Jimmy Stewart movies. It was more in this day and age. All you got to do is click your mouse three or four times and you can move millions or tens of millions or a hundred million around in an instant. So they had no good answer for it. They came out then with a press release and saying, they're completely fucked with some of their investments. They took a $2 billion loss and then they had to raise money with Goldman Sachs. And then the game was on everyone over 250 grand. If they had any sense would pull their money out, which is probably what happened. And you had an inside out run on the bank. And, you know, it's the first time in my career and I've been doing this since 1982, which is a long time. 
Um, it's the first time in my career a plane has fallen 40,000 feet out of the sky and crashed. I mean, this was a $300 stock a week before uh, trading was halted and this thing declared bankruptcy and blames on the FDIC, blames on the Federal Reserve, blames on their auditors, blames on their management. There's plenty of blame to go around, but it was an out of control bank that clearly had no risk measures in place. And it wasn't one thing that went wrong there. There was everything that went wrong. Their loans are bad, their durations are wrong. They didn't pay enough on their deposits. They pissed off Peter Thiel. God knows what they said to him. And, and he, he single-handedly created a run on the bank, him and his VC buddies. So, you know, in a way, at the end of the day, it's good because these guys were bad actors and they were allowed to go on for a very, very, very long time. And again, you know, free market should work this way. The problem is it's created what people call a crisis. And then everyone says, here we go to 2008 again. And it's nothing even close to 2008. Banks in general are in good shape. There's probably three to 500 banks that, that have done shit like these guys. And those banks should close. That's my view. People should be allowed to fail. I mean, I don't know how many banks are in this country. There's way, way, way too many. And if there's 500 less, the world's probably better. I mean, Canada, which is a complete shit show. I mean, that's basically the Eastern division of the CCP. I mean, they have five banks, uh, big ones, and they do just fine. And, you know, the government backs them, but they're publicly traded companies, but they don't have this kind of mess. And it's, you know, it's a mess. And, one of the, well, there's many problems out there, but one of the problems is no one takes responsibility for their actions. Federal Reserve has completely fucked it up, but they can't admit they're wrong. You know, people who put money in there or reward um, irresponsible behavior uh, through low rates and using low rates, they all think they're so smart. You know, guys like Ackman who are worth allegedly, in quotes, a couple billion. I mean, these are just bull market players. If not for cheap money, these guys would basically be servants off serving the Dairy Queen. And, you know, rates are higher because inflation's out of control and the cost of living is crazy. And it has nothing to do with a CPI or PPI or whatever made up numbers the government wants to give you. But living is, is very expensive. Can't hire people. You can't find people who want to work an honest day. Uh, Buying anything is, is very expensive and living's expensive. So, you know, it is what it is. It's a long way around to this Silicon Valley bank thing, but the higher rates have, have broken a couple things that, that should have been broken and they should keep raising rates till they knock out inflation. Cause if they don't knock out inflation, it's going to be, it's going to be a true mess. But, but Silicon Valley bank is a once in a career kind of thing. Uh, again, I could shoot myself for missing this thing. It was it was there, but I was too focused on really Silvergate and FTX and Signature at the end of the day. But it's uh, people shouldn't panic with banks. I mean, the government's going to make your money good with these deposits. But you should at least understand if you're going to have money at a bank or invest money in a bank, especially a regional, what business they're in, how they go about their business, and is the thing safe or not. Thanks. Mark, earlier you said this is not similar to the 2008 great financial crisis. Do you think one of the reasons that's the case is that 
uh, interest rate risk rather than credit risk is at the eye of the, the storm of, of this banking you know, crisis or, or whatever you want to call it. Before I'll give you an example. The bank that, that I'm rooting for, First Republic Bank, they their, their uh, loan loss reserves you know on their mortgage book is something like 10 basis points so their their defaults are pretty close to zero however it's their interest rate risk and and the deposits flight and run on the bank that is the real issue and and i think with you know looking through silicon valley uh, bank that the loans that they made uh, for example, I think it's called a capital call loan, which is over half of their loans. They said that they had uh, only one default in the history of the thing. So, uh, do you do you buy that they only had one default, or were they, in your opinion, sort of massaging those figures to make the credit losses uh, uh, maybe look lower than they actually were? You know, your point's really a good one. I mean, their credit losses now are going to go through the roof because I think all these guys who they funded are are now in, par- in a perilous state because no bank in their right mind would loan these guys money anymore. But in, in 2008, it was, a, it was a credit thing. The banks were off sides. Uh, no one thought housing could ever go down. Um, people underwrote really shitty mortgages. Uh, it was considered a, a given that you could own a house. And, and everyone had a, you know, horrifically bad risk management. And we all know what happened there. This kind of thing now is it's been so easy to have large sums of money, let's say at a First Republic. You know, my ex-wife, she has some money there. And she called me up and she says, the bank's safe. I said, it's safe, right? I mean, you're, I wouldn't have more than 250 grand there. But, you know, they've clearly fucked it up. I mean, their book is completely inside out. And they've loaned money and do business with extraordinarily high net worth people. She doesn't have that much net worth because she's a horrible investor. Um, and they're just way, way, way off sides. And if you're off sides in this environment and people start getting nervous, they could have a real problem. And, and everyone looked, you know, she said that their service was really good and they're a pleasure to deal with. So people looked more at the service and customer service rather than looking at the soundness of the bank. And I don't think they kept up with people with what interest rates should be. And, you know, I've said on a, a couple pods or speaking out, these banks have significantly lower deposit rates than, than U.S. Treasuries. So, you know, I have loose cash. I have some in Wells Fargo, but I, I have a bunch in treasuries and, and those are as safe as you think the U.S. government is safe. So, I mean, banks should just be used for cash management in terms of deposits. And, and I think people were parking large sums of money in First Republic and they were looking at First Republic as a sort of a safe piggy bank. I have my mortgage there. I have my credit cards there. It's, it's good to go. But all it is is a regional and, you know, people like to knock Jamie Dimon, but I think the guy's a motherfucker. I mean, he's a serious ass man and he's a really good banker. And I think he knows risk. I mean, he's broken the law many times and he's been fined many times, but the guy knows risk. And I think there is something to be said for the too big to fail banks, you know, which is sort of a page out of Canada. And I don't, you know, my... I can lose sleep over a lot of things, but I sure don't lose sleep over what bank I'm using because 
I think you play with fire if you're more than $250,000 in, in a regional or super regional. So I think everyone's going to get through the crisis. I think, you know, the Fed is going to make the same mistake, you know, they did. They'll start easing or making money available so they don't have a crisis. And we save zombie Credit Suisse with UBS. You know, again, Credit Suisse should have been out of business 10, 5, 15, 20 years ago. It's been a mess. Same thing with Deutsche Bank. Same thing with HSBC. These are all awful banks that, that have no sense in risk management. And it would be great to see the government close down some of these, these zombies, but I just don't know if that's going to happen. But again, a long way around to your question is 2008 is different than the Russian crisis, which hurt banks, than, than this. And I don't know if it's interest rates. It's not really interest rates, and it's not really liquidity. There's plenty of liquidity out there. They just have their book mismatched. I mean, they're, they're they have short-term deposits, and they put short-term deposits at very low interest rates and shitty longer-term investments. And it's just stupid. You know, you have to match up. And none of these guys matched up. And if you don't match up, you, you have these kind of problems. And if these guys lose the bank and, and they push First Republic into somebody and management gets fired, I mean, my caveat would be if I was king is if you run or manage a bank that fails or has to have a shotgun man a marriage, you shouldn't be allowed to uh, be a bank officer ever again. I mean, you tried it once. It's a serious thing. It's government backed and you failed. So again, if I make mistakes, no one's bailing me out and no one's bailing you out. So I just think they should have a contained zombie protocol on how to fix these things. Right. And I think if a bank officer make, makes a mistake, if the bank makes a mistake, that really is the mistake of those people and that bank, not the regulators who are regulating them. Uh, however, do you think it's true that the post-2008 legislation uh, was good in making it expensive for banks to hold uh, assets that have a lot of credit risk? However, they did not do enough to penalize banks for holding interest rate risk sensitive. I, I think there was a time during 2020 where uh, banks could hold treasuries on their balance sheet and hold zero capital against it, which you know now with, with you know, long duration treasuries and, and having sold off and uh, agency mortgage-backed securities having sold off as well. And I think th there's a, you know, a low percentage, not zero, but a low percentage they have to hold capital against that. Uh, do you think that there maybe needs to be some revisiting of uh, whether you know you can hold treasuries? Oh, yeah, I have I have TLT, but I'm holding zero capital against it. I mean, my broker wouldn't let me do that. That's a really good question. And it's sort of, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday. I mean, there's some guys out there, you know, on Twitter and in the world who are really, really, really good bank analysts. I mean, this Porter Collins is really good. He's really smart. He was one of his characters in the big short was after him. And Eisman's really good. And this guy, Josh Rosner is really good. And I know Rosner and Porter are on Twitter. I don't think Eisman is. But one of the problems is back when I was a youngster, banks used to get deposits and pay people interest on their deposits. And then they would make car loans, mortgages, credit cards, business loans. And to buy a car, let's say it's 9%, 8%. And they'd make a spread. And the spread would be called a NIM, net interest margin. And they'd have a cost of doing business. 
and then they'd make a return. But banks would be somewhat akin to utilities. It would be a very safe business. It would be a predictable return business, and you'd lock in a NIM. Ever since, really, the government repealed Glass-Steagall to allow banks to do all this Kukla, Fran, and Ali happy horseshit, the risk profile of all these banks has increased and increased dramatically. And banks were no longer happy just being a traditional bank. They wanted to do things to get more return, because if you have more return, you have a higher stock. If you have a higher stock, the CEO of the bank makes more money. And it becomes this greed-filled business model rather than a bank doing what banks should. So what's really gone on to your question about holding TLTs with no capital, it's all this leveraged shortcut way around things to get away from what a traditional bank does. No one's in traditional banking anymore. It's all this hybrid stuff, what Silicon Valley did, what Silvergate did with the Send Network, what Signature did. It's all this hybrid stuff to get a bigger return so the stock could go up, so the CEO and officers of the bank could get rich. Everyone is focused on how wealthy they can get rather than the process which can make you wealthy. So I'm a process ahead of concept. And if your process is sound, you'll do fine, but no one else seems interested in process anymore. The banks have all lost their way. And that's why they're in trouble. If you haven't lost your way as a bank, you know, to me, you should do well and thrive. But whether it's holding zero capital against TLTs or being leveraged 40 to one or, or loaning money to huge negative cash flow operations like wineries and hope you can sell it or go public or roll it up or whatever bullshit there is. This is why there's trouble. People have gotten away from sound business concepts that have any form of process and they've gotten into all this bullshit. You know, same goes with crypto. Everyone is always asking me what I think of crypto. I've never been long a piece of crypto. I've never been short a piece of crypto. And the simple reason is I, I don't understand it. And if I don't understand something, I'm not going to be involved. And I always say that if you can't explain something you're, you're long to a 10th grader in a paragraph or less, you probably shouldn't be long it. Same thing if you're shorted. And no one's ever been able to give me any form of explanation of why I should be in crypto that makes any form of sense. Now, a couple of people have made some money in it. And for them, God bless you. But a lot of individuals have gotten absolutely destroyed. And if you go back and say, why, did, why were you in it? Why did you get destroyed? No one could give you an answer with a straight face. And again, this is all part of the problem. It's all part of, of process. And, and people's process is really, it's really fucked up. It's, I don't want to miss out, or my neighbor made money here, or FOMO, or meme stocks, calling me boomer, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever floats your boat. But there's a lot of reasons we're in this mess and the simple way to get out of the mess is there's less players involved, less banks, less brokerage firms, um, not cheap money. I mean, if we go back to cheap money again, it's just going to reincarnate this cycle of, of, of greed. And you, the downshot going forward will be even worse. So how's that for, how's that for an answer to your question? Thanks. 
Mark, do you think that people not knowing what they own, that sort of uh, happens during a bull market because optimism happens? And then also there's a fantastic quote you gave that, you know, around the dot-com bust that was on the cover of a major U.S. newspaper. I forget the exact quote, but I, I think it's applicable. I said in the New York Times, I said the market's not a game. Market's not a casino. It's a serious thing for serious people. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can get killed. And and yes. and that holds true today. It's it's actually timeless. I had it framed and it's on my wall in California. But you know, the problem is everyone, you know, a lot of people want to get rich quick. And whether it was the meme stocks where people saw things going up or this concept of squeezing shorts, I mean. If you want to get involved in a heavily shorted stock, there's a 95% chance the thing is absolutely going to collapse because the guy shorting it do far more work than, than you do. And it's this glorification of being able to gamble and just pushing a couple buttons. And people were glorified by GME or AMC or what, what have you. And they think it's that simple, but People don't know what they're in. They they see Kathy Wood on the Cartoon Network, a.k.a. CNBC, and they show her performance way up and everyone says, let me give her money. I mean, that dumbass can't count to three if she was given one and two. And, you know, she talks about all these pie in the sky things. There's no economic basis behind any of it. So the real problem I have is people for whatever sad reason, have lost their ability or desire to actually think for themselves or to say this just makes no sense or to call a spade a spade. And it's fine to speculate blindly, you know, if you want and if you have money to lose. But I am a CFA, but I don't use that CFA designation because I don't want anyone to think I'm showboat or this, that, and the other. But one of the the key concepts is you have to have a reasonable basis. And if you don't have reasonable basis for your investment, you probably shouldn't be in it. Short squeeze isn't a good one. That's not a good reason to buy a stock or a tip from a friend is not a good reason to buy a stock or inside information. You know, there's a lot of reasons not to buy a stock, but if you think things through and you have a process, you have a shot because the professionals out there by and large, I wouldn't trust them to, to feed my dog. And, and you know, these, these banks and what's going on in the banks is a perfect example. We're not in a healthy environment when First Republic trades more volatile than a biotech stock. And I have people emailing me or DMing me or, you know, serious people. What would you do with First Republic? And the simple answer is nothing. Well, you know, no one has an edge there. No one knows what the hell's going to go on. And just because it's down, it can go down even more. And, you know, same thing with Silvergate. Everyone thought it was cheap at nine until it hit five. Now it's a buck 70, you know, on its way to 31 cents. I mean, I think I said to someone, the stock's going to end up between four and 14 cents, which is still too high. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Though. Yeah, I've heard you say that. A, a hallmark of the after the great financial crisis regulation was Dodd-Frank, which you know put a lot of regulation on the big banks to take less risk, generally seen to be to be a good and effective rule. Um, it's, it's called Frank because uh, someone who was instrumental in passing it was Barney Frank. 
that individual was on the board of Signature Bank, the bank uh, whose equity is likely now worth zero, and at the stock that you you, you shorted uh, alongside Silvergate. He was, I think, on the board of directors since 2015. Uh, were you surprised that someone, uh, you know, someone who was involved in financial regulation was on the board of a bank that had major uh, issues and ultimately failed? Well, it just shows what a complete imbecile, illogical, lazy, greedy cretin he is. He's quoted somewhere saying he went on the board to make money. I think Signature paid him two and a half million dollars, you know, in his tenure. And, you know, I knew he was on the board that time when I got involved in the thing. And and I basically couldn't care because, A, he's 82, so he's probably 30 years past his best use by date. We have a Democratic president. We have a Democratic Senate. Warren's Democratic. She has sense. And, and I knew that, what could he say to them? They're not laundering money for criminals. I, I showed that they did. And he said that the bank was totally fine. That's a complete lie. The bank was beyond insolvent when they seized the thing. That came out last night in the in the workaround. So the guy, you know, like some of these former disgraced politicians, is just an absolute disgrace. And and he should be embarrassed. And he should apologize. And he should give his two and a half million dollars back. And he's a complete imbecile. And it's uh again, this is the system we now live in that people think that a protector like him makes everything good. I mean, my medics, the CEO who I helped get thrown into prison, Parker Petit, went to prison, 81 year old guy. They had a former SEC commissioner on his board. And he used to say, how would I be running a criminal operation if I have an SEC commissioner on the board? Well, the simple answer is the SEC commissioner is almost as big a crook as you are, Pete. And he let all this bullshit go on. So just because someone has a name or someone is connected doesn't mean that everything's okay. It tends to be that something's wrong. I mean, I have a wig indicator that whoever CEOs wear a wig, you know, and I'm shorted, I think my hit rate on that's like 95% to the good. And Alan Lane, the CEO of... Silvergate, who I think is going to end up in prison. You know, he did a CNBC thing with all sorts of Jesus Christ statues behind them. So I think people who hide behind religion also have a problem. And Alan Lane, I mean, he has 21 grandkids. So I think maybe his grandkids, you know, one every two weeks can go visit him where he's going to end up. But it's it's all these these subtle things. And you'd say, Barney Frank, you know, he's on the board of signature. It has to be okay. These board guys don't do shit for work. He gets paid to try to keep people looking the other way. And it's just unfortunate. It's just, it's unfortunate. And he was stupid enough to give interviews to the major publications and explain that the bank was really in good shape. The bank was illiquid. The bank was insolvent. The bank was bust. Banks are criminal operation that's under investigation per Bloomberg by the DOJ. So Barney Frank fronting for this operation to me is a, a sad sight. Mm. 
The Dodd-Frank Act required banks uh, larger than $10 billion to conduct annual stress tests. But I, I'm reading from a signature bank filing here that uh, there was an act passed during Trump, through President Trump's, uh, called the Economic Growth Regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act that changed that raised that capital from $10 billion to $250 billion. And as a result, Signature Bank, a very large bank, did not have to go under the stress test that was required by the act, you know, help that was written and been passed by someone on Signature Bank's board. Uh, how significant do you think that was in the downfall of Signature Bank? Do you think if Signature Bank had to do a stress test, that would have helped orient it towards the straight and narrow path? Or was the Signature Bank, in your view, already so gone that Federal Reserve or not, they were on the on the way to a, a, a bad ending? I think it was, it's probably a factor. It's probably not the factor. But, but the more important thing I think I'd note is that that was an ease of regulation, right? They, something was done to make regulation easier. So everyone wanted when rates were low to make regulation easier. Now when rates are higher and, and things have gone kaflui at a couple spots, everyone wants more regulation or there wasn't enough regulation or how did this go on? Well, it goes on plain and simple because people don't do their jobs. The FDIC didn't do their job. The guys examining Silvergate didn't do their job. The guys examining Signature didn't do their job. The people who matched duration wrong at a lot of these banks don't do their job. If people just simply did their damn job and said, this isn't right, you know, why are we not doing AML KYC? And the answer is, well, it takes too long. Well, too bad. It's that it's there for a reason or it's bad for business or we can't grow as fast as we think or they'll take their business elsewhere. All these are bad reasons, bad motive. So I think the motives were bad. I think the get rich quick on top of it, you know, played a part. Not doing stress tests played a part. Having Barney Frank lobby for you played a part. It's. It's all a factor which leads to, to a bad ending. And again, until we get to the root cause of it, and part of it is you got to trim away the zombies so you can see what we're looking at. I mean, I'm looking out over trees and the Gallatin River and snow-capped mountains. If I had a whole line of trees in front of me, I couldn't see jack shit. So until you get rid of the zombies, figure out what went on, realize that regulation is not a bad thing. I mean, it's kind of like saying, I don't like drunk drivers. Well, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I think people should crack down on drunk driving. Okay, that makes sense. So we should have more highway patrol. Okay, good. But then you get pissed off when they pull you over for doing 100 miles an hour. Right. And say, how come you're not getting drunk drivers? And then they say, hey, Mark, you were doing 100, you know, in, a, in an 80 mm -hmm. and you get your ticket. And, you know, you can't ask for and need regulation when th things get murky. And then when things get good, say we don't want any regulation. It's it's just it's just everything is sideways and it's sideways because 
when people don't do their job or have no regulations, it's faster, smoother, easier, quicker, and more profitable. Okay, those are all the, the good things. But the bad things are it puts everyone, including the system, and the taxpayer puts everyone in danger. So, you know, there's trade-offs, but they don't, you know, they, some people ask me what I think who matter, but, you know, by and large, these guys are sort of runaway trains. And how many other zombies do you, do you see when you're looking out at, at the mountains of, of the banking world? You know, we've had Silicon Valley bank, you know, that's fallen signature bank fallen Silvergate still trading, but, uh, this, the sand is, is no there's, more. There's, there, there's, there's probably a dozen of three dozen publicly traded outfits that are sideways. Now what happens and what happens to them? Do they get by? Does the fed make things easier? Does everyone look the other way? Does everyone say enough guys have failed? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, not involved in any other things right now. Um, and I'm not really spending or interested in spending any time on it. I'm going to spend some time going after some of these VC guys who, who want to, you know, act like clowns. I'll, I'll work on them, but I don't know. I mean, it, it sort of depends what, you know, Powell and Yellen and all these clowns want to do or how they want to see it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a fork in the road. They can make things better by keep cranking rates because the economy's not that bad. It's not that great. It's not that bad. But this inflation needs to get fixed. And uh, people still have money and there's plenty of liquidity. But this inflation is a real problem. And everyone can say the price of this is down and the price of that's down. Fine. But no one to the consumer has really cut prices. No one has really passed it on because business is okay and, and the end user wants to make margin. So they make men margin by, by grinding the man. And it's, you know, it's expensive to go to the movies. It's expensive to go to the ball game. It's expensive to go out to eat. It's expensive to even eat pizza. And, I, and I'm not, you know, on my last dime. It's just, shit's expensive. And it, and it needs to get cheaper and the world needs to get normal again. Do you think that the panic in the banking system is going to cause some bank executives, bank lending officers to be more conservative with lending so that credit growth will stall and that will be effective in curbing inflation? God, one can hope. I mean, one can hope these banks get responsible and it becomes a closet tightening, which would be great news. I mean, if the banks got smacked upside the head and say, we shouldn't lend like this anymore, let's be responsible again. I mean, that becomes a tightening. That's like another 50 to 100 basis points for the Fed if, if banks got responsible. I mean, one can hope. Um, do I have confidence that that'll be the case? I don't know. I'll, I'll sort of believe it when I see it. Mark, you invest on the long side as well as on the short side. Um, a lot of your shorts have declined so far in value. In some cases, they're not even trading anymore. What do you do? Are you sort of hanging up, taking a little vacation, You know, get some well-earned rest from all the letters you've been writing the FBI at four in the morning? Or are you on to sort of the next battle? My life's always a battle, but I don't mind it. I mean, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I have a wonderful life. I'm surrounded by people I care about greatly. So all that's good. I mean, essentially, I got two longs that I just think are fantastic. End of Vixen Overstock. 
So I got two longs that I, that I really like. I mean, I like Camping World, but it's not nearly as dynamic as those two. Yeah. I'm short this Helen of Troy, which is a rolled up piece of shit that's overly leveraged, that's out of growth with a horrible balance sheet, H-E-L-E. I think that thing is in huge trouble. But it's not a fraud like these other things. It's just a mismanaged bunch of bumblers. And, you know, I'm not as, you know, the, the great thing about my life is I don't have to play. I can, I can be very selective in my pitches. And I, I hit the pitch or swing at the pitch that I want to swing at. And, you know, I think Helen of Troy is a great short. And I think Anna Vixen overstock are great longs. And I think they're great. But what happens between now and then, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Powell's going to do with rates. The world's a dangerous place. And uh, what is today? Let's say it's like March, end of March. And I got to say, you know, you're a pal of that guy swimmer. What people don't understand is when you're short stocks, I mean, in early February, when Signature was high and they were squeezing me on Silvergate and squeezing me on Carvana, squeezing me on Wayfair. Now, I was like way down. I was down a lot. Now, last year I had a great year, so I was given some of it back, but I was down a lot. So into this Silvergate signature debacle, I was having like a shitty year. And it's not like I felt like I was stupid or it's not like I let go of the rope. But, you know, things can happen fast. So, again, you know, I'm 63. I don't have to do this. I do this to, A, I think I'm still really, really, really good at it. B, I try to help people out. And, uh, you know, patience, patience works. Now I'm having an outstanding year. So I went from being probably one of the worst performers to being on top of the heap. But, again, this is what happens in the market. And I also want to say that, a lot of people were in signature and a lot of people bought puts in signature and my Twitter and DMS were getting lit up when the government halted signature, what they were going to do with those signature puts, especially the ones that expired Friday because these brokerage firms wanted to screw Joe six path. And I spent an incredible amount of time last week. You know, I engaged my lawyers who joined the cause and Forbes did two stories, the Financial Times did one story to basically force these brokers to allow these individuals to exercise the options, even though the stocks halted because signature really is worth zero. But these brokerage firms weren't going to let people exercise any of their puts. And, and I work really, really, really hard to push that back. And Robinhood and IB and Schwab and Fidelity, they finally relented on Thursday after an SEC commissioner said, this isn't okay. So, I mean, I know I helped a lot of people because I have all the emails. I mean, one college kid said he bought puts for 10 cents and 10 cents, and they're going to be worth between three and $5,000 a piece. You know, that's life changing money for that kid. It's going to pay for a school and then some, and, and basically fund them for a very long time. And I have a lot of stories like that. So when everyone wants to say shorts are bad or short sellers are bad, I, I busted my ass to help these people out. So they're a trade in this thing. They end up getting the money and earning the money they deserve rather than Citadel and Susquehanna 
fucking them out of their, their trade. So I was doing that too. And I would just like to see, you know, individuals have an act, an actual shot, you know, at, at doing okay, rather than just getting screwed by the Citadels, CNBCs and the, these hucksters of the world, these VC guys, you know, to sort of even the playing field. So maybe I spend more time doing that than, than investing. Cause believe it or not, folks, it's not always about money for me. I got plenty of money. It's, it's more a uh, process principle and trying to move the needle and make things right. And I think I've, I think I'm, I'm pleased. I'm hardest on myself period. But I'm I'm pleased with this Silvergate signature thing. I really am. I'm I'm thrilled that these piece of shit money laundering vehicles have been destroyed. So Hey there, sorry to interrupt. A lot of forward guidance listeners are not into crypto. If that's you, please skip ahead, get back to the interview. Some forward guidance listeners are into crypto, some own crypto, a smaller percentage owning lots of crypto and a much smaller percentage work at crypto hedge funds. If you're in those latter two categories, BlockWorks Research might be a good fit for you. BlockWorks Research is a research and data platform that analyzes governance, tokenomics, and models of interesting crypto projects, including new protocols. There's a lot of edge that can be gained from reading these reports. You can check out a sample report at www.blockworksresearch.com research and hit the free report toggle. If that is of interest, full subscriptions can be purchased at www.blockworksresearch.com slash sign dash up. You can also get 10% off using the discount code guidance10. Thanks, and let's get back to the interview. Mark, I want to ask you, uh, there are stocks that people can poke holes in, and it might even seem like a good short, oh, this company's losing money, uh, it's not growing, the CEO said, misstatements it, it's the company is doing bad stuff regulars will, will cramp down you know all or some of those might you know would apply to the companies that, that you mentioned that you were short this year but you know as you know just because a company is like that doesn't mean the stock goes down how do you know whether you're actually wrong uh and how you know, how, how how do you endure when your broker is increasing your margin and you're having to pay you know a hundred percent uh, annualized fees to borrow the stock because the broker is telling you the stock is so hard to borrow. It's you know some cases that's true, some cases it's not, and the broker is kind of squeezing you. And then how do you have the convention convention to stay uh, conviction to stay short? If you know, let's say when Silvergate squeezed from twelve dollars to twenty two dollars, how did you not know it would go to fifty dollars? Because that's uh, short selling is very hard for for folks who are listening. Well, it's 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 it's, it's very hard, and you have to be wired. And born with, as I always say, a genetic defect because it's the closest thing to impossible that there is, which makes it challenging. Which I enjoy a challenge, which is why I'm 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 really good at it. How do you know? I mean, you get your brains kicked in, and I had to cover some Silvergate on the way up because the broker was basically saying, "Anti and more money, or we'll close you out." And I'm just saying, "Fuck!" If they take this piece of shit to twenty-two. They could take it to 52, as you would say. And, you know, again, this is this is why I'm down on those those clowns at Zero Hedge. I mean, he, he, they wrote a piece and saying this could be the next GME and this could be the next Volkswagen. I mean, basically inciting a riot and trying to manipulate the shares. So you're right. It's 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 miserable when this shit goes against you. But I knew what I knew. I had tremendous conviction 
in my research. I had tremendous conviction in my facts. And I thought that the government and others would move on this thing quickly. Now, how quickly, how it worked out? I mean, worked out, it worked out well, but it was, it was just a fucking bitch. And at the same time, they squeeze you in Wayfair, in Carvana, and I got guys DMing me on Twitter saying, do you think guys are after you? They're running all your shorts. They're taking down their longs. I said, I don't give a fuck if they're after me. I've put more people into the ground who've been after me than anyone on the planet. And if you want to bet against me, go right ahead. I don't care. I'll bury you because I think I'm right. And, and I don't know. I mean, I'm an unusual character and I have tremendous belief and confidence in my ability. And I think, you know, people can say that I'm cocky or arrogant or whatever you want to say, but I've done it. You know, I've won the world series. I've won the MVP. I'm, I think I'm the best that's ever done it by a factor of 15. I mean, everyone, you know, talks about channels, which is fine. And he's a great guy and he's my pal. I've known him forever. His last big hit was 20 some odd years ago with Enron. And I've dropped three into the dirt in the last four months. And that's not even getting into my medics or home capital group or Concordia or Wirecard or things like that. But I've, I've done this. I enjoy it. I like doing it. And, and I'm still, I'm still doing it at a high level, but you know, there's going to be a day where I can, you know, where I'll be say I've had enough and be done and not be as sharp as I am now. And then I'll write a book and I'll, it'll be a great book. It'll be a tell all of everything that went on and some of these stories. So I'll have plenty of time to look back of what I've done, what I've accomplished, the great people I've met, companies I've helped put out, you know, met some incredible people, but it's, but make no mistake, as you would say, it is a fucking bitch. And you can short a stock at 20 that goes to five, but the squeezes along the way make you cover and you're paying such high fees, you know, that you can, you can lose money still being right, which is not something that happens when you're long, unless you're using leverage. Mark, my final question for you is how do you let short ideas, uh, how do you come up with ideas? Do you do a screen, I'm looking for the X, Y, Z, or do you let the idea sort of come to you? Um, well, I have a, uh, I think my memory is very good and I have a lot of names and concepts in my head and depending on the environment that we're in, luckily stuff hits the front of my brain and say, Hmm, this, this is kind of interesting right now. Like I've known about this Helen of Troy for a long time. And I've watched, and I watched it go from two to 200 and it was a roll up of roll ups and it was a roll up and they did well because rates were low and they were able to buy garbage and the stock went up and they bought more and more garbage and they grew and grew and grew and the growth guys bought it and you had a big stock. But when rates went up and they couldn't buy anything anymore and the bullshit they bought started going downhill, you know, I said to myself, this is, this is worth a shot. I mean, I'm short this stock at 180. And I'm shorting more, I think 92, 93, wherever it is today, because I think it's a, you know, 15 to $30 stock. And I think their business is bad. Their balance sheet's bad. The leverage is bad. CFO just left. And I think the guy who runs it at best is average. 
So I don't think it's going to kill me in any way, shape or form. It's sure not a meme stock. They're not growing. The business is declining. And, and customers like Target, Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond is out of business. Uh, don't need all the bullshit they're selling. So I, I, can, I can sleep well in, in something like that. But that name was in my head and it's been in my head for years. And all of a sudden something came up and I said, I need to dust this off and think about it. I don't screen. I think doing this for a very long time, I think I know who's really smart and who's dumb. I know when people call me about various things, who's smart and who's dumb. And, and you know, when things intrigue me, you have to understand that today may not be the day that you have to have some patience. And I always say, you wait till the Jaguar's out of the tree. I'm not interested in climbing the tree, rustling the Jaguar out. Never been interested in shorting Tesla because I think Musk is a protected guy. And all the fundamental guys who've short, been short Tesla have been right, but they haven't made any money. A lot have been been carried out. So there's there's a lot more to it than than meets the eye. And you have to have a mindset. And I always say, don't try it at home. And it's difficult as hell. And you become a target. And you have to have confidence in yourself because you don't make friends uh, talking talking bad about companies. No. But uh, I kind of enjoy it. I'm somewhat decent at it. Yeah. So would you say I've, I've heard advice about certain careers that are very difficult, like a professional poker player or a comedian that, you know, you, you, people never recommend to enter that career, only enter that career if there's nothing else you can do, if it's something that you have to do. Would you say that's also true about a short seller? I would give you the right answer to this. If you're doing it to make money or become rich, then you best think of something else. If you do it because you enjoy exposing people and have more righteous in you than, than a desire to make a lot of money, then it's for you. Because it is at times beyond miserable. And most people do not have the metal or constitution to deal with it. And I have zero problem dealing with adversity. I've had adversity my entire life and people bet against me. They all say I can't, couldn't, whatever. And that shit motivates me. So I'm a highly motivated individual when, when the time needs to be had. So unless, you know, that is your constitution, you should probably do something else because it's a bitch from time to time. It's a, it's a, it's a bitch. I, I'm not a substance guy. I don't drink much. I drink rum punch. I'm in shape and I love my life, but boy, it's, it's, it's hard, but I, I, I enjoy and I am up for the challenge. Hmm. And if go. anyone, and if anyone wants to bet against me, motivates me even more and and i don't quit so it's what it is yes it is mark uh we'll leave it there thank you so much for for joining sharing your insights it's been an absolute pleasure uh, i know everyone watching really found this as valuable as i have and uh, people can follow you on twitter at alder lane eggs uh, mark thanks so much and hope to talk soon well thanks again that was a lot of fun and uh 
you had me on my edge of, edge of the cushion here. There was no, there were no freebies there. But thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mark. Forward Guidance, the program you just enjoyed, hopefully, can be viewed on YouTube at BlockWorks Macro or heard as a podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Episodes are typically released on Apple and Spotify a few hours before they air on YouTube. Please leave a review on Apple Podcast if you feel so inclined. Also, you can get 10% off to Permissionless 2023 and BlockWorks Research using code GUIDANCE10. Thanks again and be well.